Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Isaiah, please, chapter 1. Thank you, guys, for being ready for me. Um, We're talking about soul willingness. I'm going to say a couple of things in starting today as soon as I pray. Um, And and I want you to pay attention uh, uh, closely from the beginning because I'm going to say some things that it's possible will wrinkle you. And I want it to, but I want you to hear it. And so anyway, we'll pray together and we'll read this. Father, we thank you today for this opportunity to study your word, to to just share together with you, Father, over your wisdom, over your understanding, over your ways, Father. Thank you for imparting that to our heart by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, I'm trying to get you, you'll, you'll eat of the good of the land. We, we've, we've just talked about this scripture as our, our jumping off spot um, now for eight or nine weeks. And, and I, I really want you to understand that obedience technically does not have to be totally willing. Right? You can, you can be obedient and have an attitude. And I believe in maturing Christians, we should be cautiously understanding of that because there are some things that God puts uh, us in or allows us to be in um, that test our willingness to praise him in all things. You will go through things where praise is what God is trying to teach you not how to rebuke the devil from your life. And I know that many of you as charismatic Pentecostal Christians, you're willing to, to just have a, a, a spiritual fit and fall in it because you believe that the devil is doing something when in reality, God is certainly allowing you to be in situations where you can develop a level of willingness in your obedience. I will praise him in through all things. And you say, well, I don't want to do that. That's what I'm talking about. That's the willingness part. So here's the thing I want you to pay attention to. Character is shaped in times of obedience. You shape your children's hearts by the obedience that you help them follow. Willingness is proven in times of obedience. Does that that make sense? Willingness is proven. So I could say it this way. Character is shaped in times of obedience. Character is proven in willingness. Character is proven. It takes a person of biblical character to process properly what you go through. Because what you see with your eyes oftentimes does not align with what the Bible tells you that that Jesus did for you at the cross. And so you'll have all those times. So remember... Willingness is so important that I can't find a single commission, a single um, um, command where, where God tells us that, that his, what he does through us is, is, is related to character. You can be morally upright without God. You can be a good person without God. It'll make you a better person with him, but if all you focus on is being good at things. You understand the lie that that creates? Because now your acceptance with Jesus Christ is based on your goodness. You wanna know what that leaves out of your life? When you're good, Romans chapter one verse four says, it's the goodness of God that that, that brings us to repentance. 
If you're good, you don't need the goodness of God. See how that lie works? You say, well, pastor, I know God wants me to do this. Okay, I wonder if any of you think this way. But how many of you know that in the Great Commission, what, what religion calls the Great Commission, um, let's just turn there um, towards the tail end of Matthew um, 28 and something. 19 is exactly right. 28 and 19. I've only done this a few times in my ministry where I've spouted out a scripture that didn't exist. That's always fun. Um, let's begin with 18. 19 is going to be my focus, but let's begin with 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, now this is after Jesus was, was crucified, after Jesus was resurrected and previous to his ascension. Now we don't teach a lot about this in church, but, but there are three parts to how this worked. Jesus was killed crucified and descended, resurrected from the dead, walked around for 40 days until 10 days previous to Pentecost. And then in that 10, day after, 10 days previous to Pentecost, he, he ascended. He went to his father and sat down at the right hand of the Lord, uh, of God. It's very important that you know that that actually happened. So Jesus came and spoke to them in his resurrection, in his resurrection body, in his resurrection power, okay, he came and spoke to them. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. His death, his resurrection, retook the authority that Adam had given away. Okay? So, so when you say all authority is given to me, he purchased it back through his works. Verse number 19. Go, therefore, because Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, he says, go, therefore. Now, pay attention to this, because in here, it doesn't say go do this when you get your life together. It doesn't say go do this when you judge your character as being more Christ-like. The number of people who are unwilling to do what the Bible says because they don't think they look like Jesus enough is astounding. Many people will not lay hands, like the Bible says, on other people because they don't think they're worthy enough. The answer to that question is, of course not. You're not worthy. It's not about that. It's about the work that Jesus did in gaining back all authority on heaven and earth. And then he gives you a command. And again, I don't know how many of these kinds of things are in, in the New Testament, but numbers of them where it says certain things. And it's very difficult to attach right character. I'm not saying you shouldn't strive for right character. I'm just saying you cannot use the lack of character. Right? The lack of character for not doing them. The number of people in Christianity, in the two church, I don't have a lot of experience unless you measure it in years. Okay? I've, I've not left churches at the standard rate of leaving from 18 months to four years is the average pastor's stay. I was almost 15 years in my first church. I've been here almost 25. So I don't fit the mold. I don't know what's going on in the rest of Christianity. And I know that I am unusual in staying here because most pastors or churches don't like pastors longer than four years. Um, and I get it. 
But here's what happens is that when we start processing these things over the long haul, we can begin to fine tune and realize, wait, the people who are before us are in essence like us. See, if you look at your pastor and say, well, he should be different, probably true. But let me just tell you what I have in my experience in two churches, this one included. I have people calling me when they find out so-and-so goes to our church. And they say to me something along these lines, how can you let them come to your church? I'm thinking, okay, is there more to this story or what? And then they'll, they'll enumerate what this person has done to disqualify them from church attendance. Okay? And some of you, honestly, have done these things. You're just as guilty. And I've, I've used the same logic. Do you want the pastor or leaders to stand at the door and check people's sin card before you let them in? This is the hospital. You cannot just let healthy people in. Character is developed in obedience. If you come to church, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. If you come to church, it will, just by coming, you will be exposed to the potential development of your character. Willingness will be proven when your obedience takes you to the place of serving God. Willingness becomes the issue. And so none of Jesus' commands actually are about character. They're about willingness. Go therefore. You know, when I teach along these lines, there's always somebody in the crowd that thinks, well, God will send me to Africa. Well, first of all, if God sends you there, it'll be the best time you've ever had in all your life. If God sends you there. I've taken my wife, we call it in our family. I call it in our family. No one else in our family calls it this. But I've taken my wife on significant vacations to beautiful places in the world. Where you wouldn't want to go. Where where we've slept on the floor of an elevated hut that's 10 by 16. And you can see through the cracks in the boards. And the mattresses for these full-size people are about two and a half feet wide and five feet long. I hung over in every way possible. I just love this part of the story. I tell this a lot because it's so amazing. So they... they, They said in Portuguese to our host, keep the pastor here. And so then they went to our house and fumigated it with bug killer. Okay. And then came back. And then when the generator, nobody has experiences like this. When the generator was about out of fuel, the elder of the the little village we're in said in Portuguese to our, our folks, they said, it's time for the pastor to go to bed. Okay. See, what that meant was that they're about out of diesel fuel for the generator and the lights are going to go out. If you've never been in the real jungle without any lights, you cannot imagine how dark it is. And everything in there is looking to eat. So I went into this place, 10 by 16. The the living area was 10 by 10. The the kitchen was 6 by 6. This wide this long I could reach I have almost an eight foot this way almost I can reach eight foot like this so I have an almost uh, six and a half seven foot wingspan I could not extend my hands all the way anyway you turned there was a bug in our 
in our bedroom that was evidently impervious to bug killer. And it carried off a little piece of trash that I put on the floor with me. I looked over and I could see. Sun doesn't necessarily in the summertime go down until after nine o'clock. And so there's enough light, ambient light. And I, I see my trash walking off towards the corner of the room. Cool, huh? How many of you know, go therefore, without God, can make that a miserable experience? It is a thousand degrees and a thousand percent humidity. And stuff is running off of me like, you know, Mount Everest, man, down every side. Go therefore does not require your character to be developed. In fact, in some cases, God will send you to those places to develop your character because you're willing to be obedient. Willingness becomes the issue, people of God. I want you to see that, okay? Now, listen, here's the other thing that I want you to get. Stop lowering biblical standards to the standard of your experience. That's a character issue. Well, God would never do this. Why do you think God would never do this? Well, because I say so. We lower the biblical standard to our experiential standard because that's who we want God to be. If you're willing and obedient, your willingness will ascend you to the level of biblical truth. It's proven. Character is proven in these times of willingness. I'm willing to do these things. Okay, congratulations. We would like you to really focus on this part because most Christians believe they have the willingness part. Right? Well, I'm, or the obedience part. Well, I'm obedient, but you're a two-year-old. You're obedient by throwing your toys in the toy box. You pitch a fit about obedience. Well, God's making me do this. First of all, God doesn't make people do stuff. It's just you whining and complaining all your way to obedience. You're going to hear a healthy dose of this this year. If I could say that this year, 2024, was about something, I would say it's about the end to murmuring and complaining. That's completely under your control in God. You can decide not to. And for those of you who say, well, I don't control, I, I don't complain out loud. Congratulations, you still didn't win the battle. It's not what you say. The issue of the heart is really big, right? It's really big. And God is bigger than your heart. So let him influence what you hold in there somewhat secretly, like you think you're hiding it from God. What you hold in there, let God deal with that part of you. By the way, it's not easy. All right, so last week we talked about setting our willingness. We talked about the idea that we do that based on understanding the free things that come from God. If you would, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll just take just a moment of time to, to reintroduce this to you. <laughs> and for those of you who think you have this and you're going, Pastor, you told us this last week. You're right. I told you this last week. And I told you this the week before. And I told you this the week before that. And for those of you who get tired of being an adult in a service like this, just remember, learning is the art of repetition. 
If you want to learn something, do it over and over and over again. You say, well, I don't like that idea. I know. But I will tell you that that's how we learn over and over again. We don't always learn. How many of you learned it on the first time? My wife and I, we worked, we've worked together all our lives. For whatever reason, what little bit of technology that I know has kind of clicked in me for some reason, you know, so I can look at stuff sometimes and know how it works. <clears throat> and my wife finally said to me, or I finally heard it. She says, I can't get it when you do it and tell me that. I have to do it. Right. If you want to learn technology, you need to sit down and look at that screen and start clicking keys like a 10 year old. Because you cannot goof it up. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> Stephen's back there running. He told me today. Uh, first of all, if you look back, you can't see him because he's kind of short. But if he if he actually pay attention when he comes down off the soundboard uh, today, because he, if you want to help in, in computer land up there, you have to have a gray beard. So there you go. <laughs> Or mustache, yeah. Or gray hair works, you know. But so, sometimes, sometimes the snow moves off the mountain first, right? And so, <laughs> anyway, here we go. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Bible says in verse number 9 that I have not seen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9. As it is written, I has not seen, no ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Please pay attention to this because what he just said to us is there are a great number of things that you can't think up on your own. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered in the heart of man. Anything that you do inside of yourself in relationship to this will not imagine the things that God has prepared for us. Now, here's the point. If you're not willing to live in the mysteries of God's invisible world, you'll miss a good portion of what God has prepared for you. Because all you'll do is gravitate to what you already know. And listen to me and listen carefully. You do not ever want to find yourself in a room where you're the smartest person. Never. That meant God left, first of all. But second of all, if you're smarter than everybody, I will tell you one thing that is so consistent with people who think they're smart is they talk all the time. They want to tell you what they know. I already know what I know. I get with people and I ask questions because I already know what I know. And you can't likely talk me out of what I know. But I'm very interested in what you know. I don't, I don't have to accept it. But you think like you. And the problem in a, in a natural fleshly world is you don't think like me. And you'd be better off if you did in my world. But you don't. And I already know me. So I need to know you. I need to know what God says to you. Not what I can tell you what God says to me because he's always talking to me about you. You can't imagine what God is doing. Okay? So when we set our willingness... We have to first and foremost use the things that are freely given to us. Verse number 12 says that, freely given to us by God. But look down to verse number 14, please, if you would. And look, if you would, please. It says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. 
for they are foolishness. Notice the qualification that happens in your brain is that when a natural man hears these wild, crazy things that God does, they immediately say, that's foolishness. That's foolishness. Their natural mind will not accept the things of the Spirit of God. And it says, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Again, when you're going to make sure that your, your soul is willing, you'll have to become more of an expert in soul willingness. How do I prepare myself to accept what God's Word says and not just blindly accept it, but rather accept it as a cause or a course of life? These are directions. When you, when you find out that God has provided these things and you go, really? You've provided this? And you trust him in those areas that you're not familiar with. He will show, listen, when God gives you what seems like an impossible instruction, it's always a time when he will manifest himself to you. Always. But what most people look for is success in what God called them to do. Not the appearance of Jesus. When you believe that God's called you to do something, most of the time, your measure of that is, is it successful? A plus B equals C. That's a natural equation. When God speaks to you, A plus B equals the appearance of Jesus in your life. Success in your obedience and your willingness is the appearance of Jesus Christ. Do you understand why pure financial wisdom doesn't always work? Because if God told you how to do it, the end result of financial wisdom would be the appearance of Jesus Christ. You would live differently in relationship intimately, right? The Bible is the only book when you read it, the author shows up. Come on, track with me for a second. When we are obedient, we think we get the thing, whatever the thing is we're believing for. When we're obedient and willing, what we always get is an appearance, the manifestation of Jesus Christ himself. See, most people won't recognize that's what they're supposed to get. So they're always looking for success. And when success doesn't come in the manner in which they imagined it, they get mad at someone. They get mad at God. And then they blame God's people. I completely discounted some of what I heard over the last four years because out of those people's mouth came a blame towards God's people. I mean, I could take you down road after road after road over the last four years when I, when I was learning this Jesus was attempting to manifest himself in my life. Show me something differently. So that regardless of what happens in my life, I'm looking for Jesus to show up. Not for the desires that I put before him in my prayer list. Come on. I heard people prophesy politically. And when it didn't happen, those same people blamed you for not praying enough. And I would double dog dare you to find a place in the Bible where God shows up based on a multitude of prayer words. 
In fact, he says, the hypocrites think they'll be heard by their multitude of words. Don't be like them. I have begun over the last four years, more than four years. It really started, it's not political. It really started with the pandemic. Oh God, this doesn't look right. We're going through this. And, 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 you know, this plague shall not come nigh my house. That's how it's, I, I like to use the King James when it suits my purpose because I love that word. Will not come nigh my house. You know, means near, but it's way, it's way better. Romans chapter 8 in the verse, version I love, the Moffat Bible says, There is therefore now no doom in those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that. That came to me when I was listening to Doom and Gloomers. You know, there are some people who get a great amount of joy out of telling us how bad it's going to get before Jesus swoops down and rescues us. Every time Jesus manifests himself in my life, my life gets better. I decided to look for that. Rather than, I ha- listen, I have a lot of desires, a lot of things I'd like to see. But at the top of that list, I'd like to see Jesus more often. I don't care if I don't get what I... Listen, if Jesus walks with you, what difference does it make if he walks, through you, walks with you through a war or through a buffet line? You know, getting what you want, not getting what you want. If Jesus is walking with you, that seems to be the issue. Natural people do not understand that. I'm not trying to hit you too hard, but if this fits, man, get in and and take a stroll in these shoes. Because I'm telling you, if you plan the end result, and the end result doesn't include the manifestation of Jesus, you have every possibility of being disappointed. And when you're disappointed, and it creates in you frustration and anger, you will not bite the world, you'll bite the people you love. You'll bite the people that are closest to you. You'll have an attitude in private times. Listen, if you're going to have an attitude, have it with people you're never going to see again. Quit having it with the people you love the best. I went to the doctor on Thursday. Now, this is a long saga starting last May when I told the orthopedic guy that I went to that I have a torn meniscus. And he heard me, and like every doctor who thinks that, that, that the person, the patient, doesn't know what they're talking about, he ignored that completely. I wanted him to set me up for a surgery and fix the torn meniscus in my left knee. That's what was wrong. I felt like I got that from God. Okay? So I went and told him. You always want to Check with your doctors and make sure that they got some Christian heritage because you don't want to be the one who sounds like a fool. Come on. If you're walking with your surgeon, who do you want to take the other hand of your surgeon? Thank you very much. You want Jesus. Me and the guy with the knife and Jesus. Right? It's okay. You'll get it. Anyway, he said, let's try this. So I did. Honestly, because I was believing, I thought it was a miracle. This miracle only lasted for about six months. Made in November, five to 11, six months. In November, I couldn't hardly walk upstairs. So I said, we got to do something. 
So I went back in November. He said, let's try another shot. And I said to myself, well, I'm willing. You know, last time it worked for six months. It maybe didn't work for six days this time. And then he dropped the bomb. You now need to meet with a surgeon. Well, that was in November or December. And I went on the 18th day of January, three months. According to the people who love me, when I get this taken care of, maybe I won't be grumpy. Oops. Personal circumstances of character show with people you love. I've had people in churches not agree with, with my decisions or the decisions. You don't know whether they're my decisions. Are you aware of that in this church? You don't know whether they're my decisions or whether the elders sat down and told me what to think because they were in agreement. You, you just don't know that. And, and I've had good-hearted Christians give displays of not such good-hearted Christianity because they didn't get their way. I'm not looking at, honestly... You're not in the room. If you're listening online, repent. But <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? That character issue that we think we have handled will get tested by your willingness. All right. So when you trust in natural resources, natural ways, you cannot receive the things that are from God. It's so amazing to me. How many people are willing to trust what their natural man gets and call it God? Romans chapter 8, please. Here's the second point. So the first point was know the things freely given. That's verse number 12. In Romans chapter 8, let's just begin looking at this. Here's your second point. Are you ready? Willingness is primarily a fight of the mind. Willingness is primarily a fight of the mind. Please don't say you're willing, okay, when you have not won the battle in your mind. When you win the battle in your mind, you will stop talking so much about the battle. I always love Christian, Christians who are always beating up the devil, okay? First of all, if you have to beat up the devil, what happened to the work that Jesus did? Yeah. You don't trust it. <laughs> Verse number one. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh. Now listen, you can be in Christ Jesus and walk after the flesh. You can be in Christ Jesus and walk after the flesh. I can give you a number of manifestations of that idea. But the, the greatest one is when you tell God what he needs to do. You say, I don't do that. Um, we all do. This is a Christian club that we tell God what to do. We come up with scriptures that support our opinion and we step out. 
and we tell God what to do. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Now, condemnation is an issue of willingness. You say, wait, what? Okay. If you're willing to stay in Jesus consistently, you will not be condemned. Now, who's doing the condemning? God does not condemn anyone. You're trying to get yourself from the self-inflicted wounds of condemnation. Come on. How many of you have ever done something that you think was either insufficient? This is where most Christians beat themselves up, is that what they do is insufficient. How many of you can hear some old person telling you, you should pray more? Or some preacher, you know, pray more. That's the solution to everything, pray more. How many of you can hear somebody? These are all, these are all scriptural or, or, or spiritual bents. How many of you know somebody who, who prays? And when they pray, when you listen to them pray, you're captivated by their words. You go, man, I, would, I wish I could pray like my wife. My wife is an excellent prayer. Her words sound nice. Right? And I'm just, I'm just sitting there going, yeah, just keep praying. I'm just going to sit here and just get, you know, suntan in, in this presence. You know? I don't have that. I'll tell you what I do have. You'd be better off if you'd subject yourself to a teaching ministry. Let's just keep going over this and over this and over this. People get sick and tired of being told the same thing. If you're hearing the same thing, it's because you're listening to me. I know not, not everybody gets that. Aren't we supposed to listen to you? Kinda. But let God speak to you. A week doesn't go by when somebody doesn't tell me something along these lines. I stopped to take a note of what you said. And you moved on so fast I missed that whole point. Whose note did you stop and take? Mine? No. You stopped completely disconnected because God hijacked your attention. He spoke to you in that moment. That's the reason you come to church, people of God. God hijacked you. You said, oh, I wish he would have used that scripture right. That's you. Right? Again, I used to, used to have a couple of people in church, my first church, <clears throat> who thought it would have been handy if I would have stayed in my English classes. Because they were really interested in correcting my grammar, which I couldn't, honestly, couldn't care less about. You say, well, you don't sound intelligent. Good. If I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. I'm not perfect. You should just go ahead and deal with that among yourselves. Yep, pastor's not perfect. See, it's not if you make a mistake. It's what you do with your mistakes. For the law of the spirit of life, verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not like, like the Ten Commandments type of law. This is really talking about the function of principles and working. This law, how things work. How many of you know there's a, there's a law of aerodynamics? Okay, so gravity is a law. If you jump off a building, barring some supernatural miracle, you will come intimately aware with gravity when you hit the ground. Falling is not the issue. 
The fact that the ground is not moving is the issue. And everything comes to it. Bang. Right? So when you're in an airplane, gravity is always working. So when you look at those, I don't know if you've ever been in an airplane and paid attention. I love to sit just in front of the wings because I like to watch the reverse thrusters on the engine come on. I like to watch all the flaps. And I like to see it when the plane looks like it's actually flying. When the wings out to the tip are moving up and down five or six feet at a time. You just see them moving out there. I'm thinking, well, this plane is flying. It's doing that. The reason the wing is the way it is is because of the laws of aerodynamics. If you do not have enough wing surface, how many ever notice when they extend the flaps, the wing actually gets bigger before it turns down? The flap is the thing that, that pushes the air down. Okay? So when, when, you, when, you, when you engage flaps in, in, in a, a little plane, a lot of times it's mechanical. It's got a little stick, a little, little emergency brake looking thing like this, and it click, 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 click. And it, it pushes the, the trailing edge of the, of the wing across there. It pushes it down, which changes the flow of the wind and puts lots of pressure down. It keeps the plane in the air or slows it down, but keeps it in the air at a slower rate. Without the law of, 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 of aerodynamics, you would not fly because you need thrust, forward move, movement, right? How many of you know if the engine stops working in your airplane, you're going to land one way or another without thrust and without lift created by the expanse. That's why airplanes are a tube. Okay, all this engineering goes into this thing. And you think, you know, well, why? Because you have to break through the law. You have to know how these laws work to, to be able to trust or you never get in an airplane. I have a friend who always says, I, he flies a lot. He's always sit at the back of the airplane. I'm going, really, why? He said, have you ever seen an airplane that backed into a mountain? See, that's about how much he knows about flying. You know, redneck from Oklahoma. He could sit in the back because if we hit an airplane or if, we hit, if the airplane hits a mountain, he's at the back. Well, I got to tell you, if you hit a mountain at three or 400 miles an hour, the back just became the front. Yeah. Amen. That's how laws work. So he says the law of spirit of life in, underline that in your Bibles, in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? What he's trying to get us to see is that there are principles of operation living in Christ Jesus. You don't get to live in yourself and invite Jesus to come join you. You get to join him. When we invite Jesus to join us, we'll tell other people what we need because Jesus has joined us. Those people pray for athletic events because they think God is interested in who wins the football game. He's not. He's interested in you. Well, doesn't God help with those things? You can make up your rules if you want. <laughs> but I just got one question. When was the last time the end result of a football game magnified Jesus? And please don't tell me it's because that uneducated linebacker gets up there and wants to give thanks unto Jesus who helped me, you know. I want him to give thanks unto Jesus. I'm just telling you that we waste time in our character development by processing things that God himself has not instructed us to do. 
How many ever came away from a football activity? Let's just make it even more personal. How many of you have ever blamed an athletic event loss on a referee? <laughs> oh, yeah, don't raise your hands. How many of you lost, lost one at Dean's expense? Oh, no. <laughs> it, it, here's the thing. They never give the ball to the referee and let him score. They never count his points. You say, well, yeah, but he's making them for the other team. You have an attitude. And that attitude is a character flaw. And it's displayed in public. And people reward you for that by saying, yes, get them. They actually will cheer you to be obnoxiously ungodly. Yes and amen. I had them, just to let you know that this is not all music. There's some Ray people back here. Do you all remember Mr. Finch, the music teacher? We were a good marching band when I was in high school. We actually won the competition at CU Boulder. Got a march at the halftime of, of the CU football game, whoever they were playing. I don't even remember. But we got judged poorly in our street performance because we had a little uh, portly uh, a drummer and we had these, these kind of leather, they weren't leather, but the you know, Nagahide things that went over. And his drum strap that went across there caused it to wrinkle. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> oh, my. And he, we got back on the bus. With, he's reading through our little thing, you know, the judges that were walking by. And we got discounted because our drummer had a wrinkle from his drum strap. So it's not athletics. It's anything we have an interest in, because that guy railed it. Oh, I can't believe he did that. Doesn't he know that that drum's going to put pressure on there and there's always going to be wrinkles there? And we're all in the bus going, yes, we should have won that competition too. Because that's our desire. And our character showed. So don't, don't look at me and say, well, it's just because it's athletics. Listen, your kid can beat out in a spelling bee, and you can have an attitude about it. Okay. Tracy and I stood in a Chick-fil-A. Ah, oh, I knew I should have done this in the main service. I could have just done this for hours. You guys could have just left and come back next week. Tracy and I were standing in a Chick-fil-A line this week. We're standing over to the, to the right side of this place. And there's just six or seven people standing in front of us, only they weren't moving. And I'm thinking, oh, what's this? And so this guy comes in and he walks through the serpentine thing. And, and then he stands over there and somebody comes and takes his order. And I'm thinking, we're in the wrong line. We were in the line of people who were waiting to pick up to-go orders. We were standing so patiently. God was rewarding us. I mean, I was patient. My Christianity was just showing. You know, I'm just sitting there so patient and all that. And then pretty soon, my stomach overrode my patience. <laughs> so I asked the two girls that were standing in front of me, I said, um, are you girls waiting to order? She says, no, we're waiting to get our food. And that's when this other guy walked through. And so then my attitude was, I didn't say anything out loud. My attitude was so visible that the guy in front of us heard me coming. I hadn't said anything. And he turned around and said, oh, I'm sorry, I cut in front of you. Why did he say that? Because he probably thought I was going to become an axe murderer. Because my, my attitude showed. See, there are functional laws of living in Christ Jesus, and they don't include your attitudes. Your ego and attitude will not fit in the throne room of God. 
Amen. <laughs> so next week we'll get down to verse number five where we'll start teaching about this. Amen. Father, thank you today for this time. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you, Father, that in your word we can still have a good time. Thank you, Father, that in painful learning we find ourselves growing. Father, in learning that involves us taking our eyes off ourselves, we find ourselves growing. And thank you, Lord God, that willingness is, is, really, is, is really just a sign of character development. It's proven in these times of obedience. So we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live. And you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.